Welcome to the Sensible Center Podcast, where two middle-aged guys drunkenly talk politics and political reform. Grab an adult beverage and enjoy the show. Further information can be found at SensibleCenterPack.com. You can reach us at SensibleCenterPack at gmail.com or follow us on X at USASCPack. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Hi, Kevin. How are you? All right. Well, uh, you got an early Christmas present from the Federal Reserve today. It's absolutely wonderful. I can't believe it. <laughs> Rates are dropping. Rates are dropping. Nice little Bob, bump in the stock market. You're buying a house. Yeah, it's all good you know. for you. Uh, well, uh, I assume you're writing the thank you note to Jay Powell today. So uh, we'll leave some time at the end of the day so you could get that in the mail to him. But yeah. Uh, as another bonus, Bob, we have a special guest today, uh, Rahila Ahmed from 100% Democracy is here today. Hi, Rahila. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Bob. Thanks for Welcome, having me. Welcome, Rahila. Thanks for being here. You're our first guest. And you're our first guest, so uh, I'm sure you're going to be the first of many, but we appreciate you coming on. Uh, Rahila is the uh, National Legislative and Organizing Director it's a organization called 100% Democracy. Um, I think I mentioned on the other previous podcast that I attended. I attended um, an American De- Democracy Summit. I think it was in October or late September, regular. Um, and we met uh, and had lunch together. Uh, and Rahila agreed to come on our podcast to talk about our organization. So we're really excited to hear about that. Um, let me give you a little bit background on Rahila. She's, um, she's been involved in, in political movements a great deal. She actually served on a county, uh, education board seat in Prince William County. Was it Rahila? Prince George's. Prince George's, Mm -hmm. uh, county in Maryland. Uh, she was the deputy director of fair election centers campus vote project which she, were, she was engaged in voting and civic engagement on college campuses and also a manager at New American Leaders where she was supporting a large network of first and second generation uh, immigrant elected officials. So uh, it's quite a distinguished background, Ahila. And now you're involved with uh, 100% Democracy. So why don't you give us a little bit of a background of that organization, its mission, kind of how you got involved with it, and then we could kind of go from there. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Bob. It's been, gosh, 100% Democracy has been in operation and alive for just about a year and a half. And the focus of the organization is really to redefine voting as not only a civic right, but also a civic duty where individuals uh, not only um, participate, but are required to participate in voting, whether that's casting a ballot or submitting a waiver saying that, you know, you don't want to opt in. So it's, it's looking, we're looking at the concept of universal civic voting, civic duty voting, which is this concept of opting out of voting using an opt out system as opposed to an opt in system, which we have in the states right now. Um, It's a very, it was a very intriguing idea when I first heard about it. I actually heard about it through a working group that was going on through Harvard. 
And then following that working group, um, a book was written about this concept of universal civic duty voting uh, led by E.J. Dion and Miles Rappaport, who now leads the organization that I work for. And it's, I'll be honest, when I first heard about the idea, I thought, this is wild, you know, like, <laughs> is can this work here? Is it, you know, is this is such a, a foreign concept uh, to me living in the U.S. And, you know, my entire life, I was born and bred in, in Bowie, Maryland. And so to hear a concept like this, there were a lot of questions I had. But then also, you know, I, as you had mentioned, I served as an elected official, a local elected official on my county school board for a couple of years. I've been involved in elections, campaigns, nonprofit, the democracy space for a really long time. And I think that it's really important to recognize that we're at a very fragile and pivotal moment in our governmental system in the way that it functions where we have huge levels of polarization that we've never seen before or never had before in the same way. We've had a lot of, you know, like discord amongst people um, that lead to just this immense sense of, you know, misunderstanding. And for me, there's like, there are organizations and their ideas that lead to small changes and reforms in the way that we operate to help alleviate some of those differences but in order to really make a significant change and make sure that we have you know a a democratic system a democracy a republic for not only for the next five years but the next 50 years you know we need to figure out a bold idea or a couple of bold ideas that are going to help us stay in that direction of maintaining a system of government that the world really looks at and is like hey this is a type of system that we want to see so for me, that that was the the inception point of me wanting to join this team at 100% Democracy was there is this big, bold idea of universal civic duty voting. It is actually in-state um, utilized by 26 countries around the world. Wow. The, you know, that's a lot of countries. And it spans almost every continent uh, around the world. So it's not just localized in one place. But there's a system that many different countries use uh, but that's not really discussed in the U.S. And, and why don't we? Why can't we look at cities and states in our country and say, hey, this is what we want. We want everybody at the table voting in elections with the hopes that we'll be able to have a stronger and a better system for decades. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, so this is the kind this is the what drove me to, to join this organization and I'm excited to chat with you all a little bit more about kind of my learnings as I've evolved in my understanding of universal civic duty voting coming from a space of being uncertain and and curious to a point where I'm thinking myself that this is the bold idea that we need to save our system for the future. It's definitely a curious idea and I had never heard about it until I met you. So, and I appreciate Miles sent me the book and, and it was uh, it was a great read. I learned a lot about uh, the arguments for and some of the concerns with that were, were well addressed in the book. Um, so it's it's a very interesting idea, I think. And I think you're right in regards to that there's going to need to be a good handful of pretty bold initiatives to get us back on track from our democracy movement here in the, U- in the U.S. So 
uh, we're open to listening to any of them. And that's kind of the point of this podcast, too, is to kind of highlight some of those movements and, and get people uh, a better education about what's out there. And, and hopefully uh, with any of these movements, you kind of need a groundswell to get them up and moving. Um, so you mentioned just briefly a little bit, uh, maybe if you could go into a little bit about the mechanics on how this would work. You, you mentioned opt-in, opt-out. Maybe you can describe what that means. Clearly, in the United States, we all have the, or at least in theory, the ability to vote, right? We all have the ability to register to vote, to go to the polls. Um, but you mentioned 100% kind of a civic duty. So what does that mean kind of from a me mechanical perspective in regards to what, what this is asking people to do? Yeah, so I mean, there's different countries that operate this type of system in different ways. So in Greece, they have this law that basically says that folks are required to participate, but there isn't really much enforcement around it. Nonetheless, they do have very high voting rates as compared to other countries that don't have this system. But I think the best case in point that might be most comparable to the U.S. is looking at Australia. Uh, and in Australia, they've basically had the system of mandatory voting, uh, which was adopted nationwide almost 100 years ago in 1924. And as soon as they instituted the system where uh, basically saying that folks are required to participate in voting um, or, you know, submit a waiver saying that they're not going to participate using this kind of opt out system, they're their participation rate jumped from around 60% to around 90%. And it's stayed there in almost every election since. So we're talking about a system um, that has dramatically increased voting participation of people. And they use a system in Australia of a, it's a penalty system. So the penalty for not voting and for not providing a valid reason for not voting, it's a it's a fine of uh, the equivalent of about 15 US dollars here. I think it's around 20 Australian dollars there. And also they have this option for folks to submit a blank ballot. So you might be able to, if you go to the, the ballot box to cast your vote, you can vote for a candidate, you can vote for multiple candidates, or you can decide that I don't want to vote for any candidate and submit what's called a blank ballot or, or quote unquote donkey ballot. And so uh, this is a system that they've used for over a hundred, for almost a hundred years. Uh, there hasn't been, to my awareness, a serious, strong, serious effort to repeal the practice of universal civic duty voting over there. And in fact, they've had systems in place to celebrate election day, right? Make it um, somewhat of a, of a celebration at the polls where folks stand outside, there's food involved. You know, it, it's really about celebrating civics and celebrating the development and the, the continuance of a governing system uh, that works. And so this is probably the most comparable uh, analysis of something of what universal civic duty voting can look like in the states, but it's really up to cities and states on how they want to implement a system like this um, and in fact, there's pieces of legislation that have been introduced in different states uh, in the country already within the past year, looking at different options and ways to do that. Great. So you mentioned uh, cities and states. I just want to clarify mm -hmm. here, and I appreciate that. This, this is great. Um, 
are, are you referring to strictly state laws or are we targeting federal laws or all of the above or federal elections or all of the above? Yeah. So, I mean, I think with any type of movement, you know, to, to go and start in cities and states to show that this is something that can work and really help in doing some of the things that we know we need to to do in this country, namely decreasing polarization, increasing the amount of um, rapport and regard that's given to the needs of people directly by elected officials and politicians. You know, this is something that needs to start at the grassroots. And so uh, what has happened so far in the past year is that there's been legislation introduced in Washington State and Connecticut implementing this type of a system where voting is is required uh, they neither of those bills have strict or strong uh, measures for enforcement uh, but there's also been a bill introduced uh, an enabling legislation bill introduced in utah which would allow cities in utah to uh, enact this type of system so that's kind of where we're at right now there's no type of federal movement uh, around this through our organization there have been kind of national figures that may have uh, taken positions or thoughts around what mandatory voting, what universal civic duty voting could mean for the country. Uh, but at, at this time, we're looking at what and how can we build an understanding of this in cities and states, um, especially in places where we feel uh, could have the best infrastructure to make something like this happen. I appreciate that. Um, um, does this in your opinion, favor any one party over another? I just kind of want to follow that up um, yeah. or qualify that by, by asking if, if you know if there's a recent country or state in another country uh, or province that may have done this and how it affected their political leanings one way or the other. Yeah, no. So when this kind of movement started in one of these countries, I want to say Australia, don't quote me on that, um, it was actually started by some of the more um, uh, folks that were more on one side of the political spectrum than another, and it, with the hopes to be able to maintain a sense of power. Obviously, that's not the intention in bringing it to cities and states uh, in our country, in the U.S., um, and it's, you know in terms of trying to move something like this forward, it would be really key and crucial to have, if we're trying to get everybody out to vote, right? Making sure that everybody's at the decision-making table and trying to figure out what that happens across multiple party lines. Um, but it's really, in terms of actually actual reality and how this could work out, it is very possible that this could favor one party or another given a specific area or a region, right? If there's an area or a region where there is a slightly larger uh, base of Republican voters over Democratic voters, um, in a space like that, it could very much benefit Republican voters or vice versa, right? You have a space where there's a larger population of, of Democratic voters over Republican voters. Um, and, and so, this kind of thing very much has the ability to favor one party or another in my eyes. But I think for me, that goes down to localities and specific areas overall and overreaching. It could be anything. Um, 
you know and so i think when you're looking at it in terms of pockets it's very possible that this could be one way or another but ultimately right that's not the goal and that's not the intention the intention is really to make sure that all voices of people of citizens in the country are heard at the ballot box and also the hope is that elected officials as they're running their campaigns as they're looking at how they want to reach people and what are those things that uh, they really want to push as in terms of their agenda are reflective of all of those people that they're trying to represent yeah. and not just a specific party or faction within that yeah as i was reading the book and thinking about it you know i was thinking yes it, it will likely be a wash like you said depending on the given dynamics of the locale but in general i would think that those who aren't voting are typically have been less engaged and could be more possibly moderate uh and easier to swing one way or another than sort of the the people who go out and vote a certain party every every election so um that is kind of exciting because like you said you you might get some new voices and new uh thinking into the process by by sort of engaging those people more through the civic duty voting is that that sounds like what you guys have been thinking of too yeah i mean the hope here's the thing too is like there's so many ideas from existing politicians that really serve a base right either left or right um in this country and if we're really trying to move the country forward as a whole, as a collective, we really have to look at what are the needs of everyday people. And the way that you move politicians, the way that you move elected officials into thinking like that is if they can't feed or serve a base. If they have to feed and serve everybody in that capacity, then that could really change the game of not only what policies are being brought forward, but how elections are conducted and how our entire system and society functions as a whole, right? Maybe we'd be able to have um, a better system or some solutions when it comes to some serious issues of making sure people are housed, right? Making sure that everyone has a quality food, these kinds of things. Maybe we are able, we would be able to address some really serious needs, policy needs, if those were the things that uh, folks focused on because those are the things that came to mind uh, for everybody that's not only on the left and the right but also in the middle yeah one one of the things that's great and one of the things I was thinking about is reading the book and you you had mentioned that in Australia they sort of make it a, a celebration which I think is a great idea uh, because I was thinking so it's hard to get Americans to do anything in particular. Mm-hmm. I, I went back and thought about uh, the uh, Obamacare and the ACA and trying to get people to sign up for health care insurance, which they were getting um, subsidies for. And, and it was difficult to get people engaged in that. And there had to be a lot of advertising. So how, how are you guys thinking about what's needed to get people to do it and because like i said i I, in this country we don't like to be told what to do i don't think (laughs) where other countries might have more of a mindset around that i guess yeah no we have a strong i mean this is our part of our national pride right independence freedom are a part of our national pride 
And I think it you're absolutely right. People don't want to be told what to do. I think the the hard thing though is the is that there's kind of like a understanding of need and an understanding of balance when it comes to government intervention in, in people's lives. Um, if we look at the way that our society runs now, we have, you know, our government does mandate a lot of different things, right? They, there's a mandate for paying taxes and educating children and vehicle and safety emission, all these types of things. And there are a lot of benefits that come from some of those mandates. Um, I think the most, you know, similar thing that I can probably think of in terms of universal civic duty voting and a, a type of like government mandate is probably jury duty where, you know, in jury duty, we're required to serve on juries. And that's to make sure that people that are going through the criminal justice system um, really have a chance to be heard by and, and decision making to be conducted by a a group of people that are that's fully reflected of the diversity of our society, right? So and even in, you know, the 1960s, a major goal of the civil rights movement was not only to allow African Americans to serve on juries, but in fact to compel African Americans equally to serve on juries as other groups of people. And so in the same kind using the same kind of logic when we're talking about making decisions on important public policies and the election of people who should make those public policies, you, you know, those should be made with the consent of all of the people that are governed. And so that's kind of the the symmetry that I see between these two things. But it's it's very clear that, you know, the other thing, too, is a lot of people don't like going to jury duty either. But it's such, you know, so <laughs> I, it, I actually look forward to it because I oh, find it good. interesting, right? <laughs> me, too. You know, I love me a good jury duty, although it's really diff- I feel like they already they can see it in my eyes. They don't want, you know, I don't often get selected. Mind I, I never get selected. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, you know, it's an important part of of our society to make sure that folks that are going through the system. Are, have a fair shot at being heard and, and hearing their point. And so this is kind you know, just be, there's a lot of kind of disdain for some of these uh, government mandates. But I, I feel like if we're looking at things in the in the grand scheme of things, something like universal civic duty voting would help overall um, more than it could hurt. Um, and then the last thing I would say to this and that, you know, that's, you know, up for opinion based for sure, 100 percent. Um, and then the last thing I would say around government mandates is I think about this a lot of, you know, we have a system of selective service where a lot of our young men in the country are, you know, uh, possibly they're putting their names in to possibly, you know, have to give the ultimate sacrifice. And this is a part of the government system that we have in the U.S. And it's a part of other systems of government um, that they use as well um, as a requirement of, of citizenship. And so I think about that and, you know, that that's such when you're willing and you're able and almost in the sense um, have to participate in, in this process of possibly giving the ultimate sacrifice. I think about right. things like universal civic duty voting and I'm like, you know what, this is this is something to help us, um, and this is this is something that universal civic duty voting is such a, a lower lift um, than something as as 
important and as significant as as something like selective service. That's also in the back of my mind, too. Yep. Uh, I got one more follow up and then I'll let Bob jump in with some of his questions. Um, As I was reading the book again, I, I noticed that there's the carrot and the stick, too, here. Mm-hmm. It sounds like most most have gone with sort of penalties rather than incentives for voting, sort of either a tax credit or clearly a good a good sandwich could be an incentive <laughs> at the end of voting. Uh, but how do you guys um, view that or, or what's what's the mission in regards to that? Is it more on the penalty side? Do you think is more generally effective or what what's it, what's been shown there? Yeah, so it, based upon some of the research that was done through the work group, uh, it, penalties are more effective, uh, but that doesn't mean that that's the only type of system of enforcement that's used, right? Like I mentioned before, there are some places that have no enforcement and still their voting participation rate is pretty high. There are places that have tried um, incentives as well, um, but it's just not been as effective as the penalty structure has been. Okay. Uh, I think the thing to think about there, too, is that it will vary based upon um, localities and, and states on how either um, penalties or incentives or, you know, no enforcement uh, will happen. Nationally, though, if we were federally, there are really strict, you know, anti-bribery type of laws. So to see this type of a system used in a, a, a federal race, um, or in elections where federal races occur, uh, to be able to do any type of incentives would be difficult. Um, and unless there is kind of a, a national change or a national law that's put in place. And so that kind of limits the ability of the incentives to move forward to a certain degree. But you have so many races, so many elections where, you know, it you're just voting for your mayor or your city council, right? You're right. just voting for... Um, some local government, um, there are state races that don't occur in the same cycle as federal races. And so there are ways to be able to look at state laws and local laws to see if incentives are possible in places over penalties, um, if that's something of consideration for a locality. And honestly, I think some of those local state, uh, local and municipal races are even more important for affecting people's lives. And they tend to have lower turnout, I think, generally than the presidential. So I think, as you mentioned, getting the locals uh, starting at the grassroots or ground level is probably going to be even more effective for getting those numbers up. Mm-hmm. So I've thought quite a bit about this over the last few weeks in preparation. And the biggest uh, concern I would come up with in regard to required voting would be potential First Amendment requirements. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how this will align and fall within the First Amendment? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, as a part of the working group that came out of Harvard, there were some legal scholars that looked at this issue carefully and their conclusion was that so long as there is no requirement to vote for or against any specific candidate or measure, there is no quote-unquote compelled speech and therefore no constitutional prohibition from using the system. So as long as there is a system uh, that allows for folks to, uh, you know, submit a blank ballot or 
um, not requiring that folks complete a ballot. Like there are other options to uh, allow for, um, you know, non-voting if there's definitely, you know, not a, a particular candidate or a particular issue that someone wants to vote for or against, then it it it, it stands to reason that um, this wouldn't uh, violate any First Amendment laws federally or nationally. Have and you I, said? Yeah. Yeah, I just kind of think of it from the standpoint of if somebody wants to protest by not voting, I think that protest falls under First Amendment rights. And, and that may be covered by the blank ballot Mm -hmm. idea or initiative that you you called out but i i wonder if that takes it far enough or if somebody wants to say i'm i'm going to protest i'm not going to vote whether or not that falls within their first amendment freedom or not mm -hmm. actually bob when i was thinking about it I, I i thought it's a bigger protest to show up at the polls and submit a blank ballot than than not showing up at the polls because i think from my perspective if you don't show up at the polls you could just be not not engaged or not paying attention or, or, or a variety of reasons, but to actually put through a blank ballot saying, I don't want any of these people. I think that's and even I, stronger. I think it, it provides potentially a path for a stronger third party candidate from the standpoint of a protest candidate. Right. So as a protest candidate, if you will, and, and you can stand up for some very strong things or you can say some outlandish things, uh, you may find that in protest, people vote for that individual and then the big party candidates may, may lose, may lose large, which is interesting to me. I just don't know if they'll stand up in court. Yeah, I think there's definitely, um, I think this is why the legal scholars kind of took this into account as seriously as they did. I think that uh, having said what I've said, there's nothing that, you know, it is very possible that this, you know, has some type of legal challenge. Um, but the hope is that, and the, the thought is that it would be able to withstand it, um, given kind of the way that the, the folks have looked at this. But you're absolutely right that it, you know, with anything new, I feel like there's going to be um, some type of challenge and pushback to ensure the, you know, the validity of a system. And that's, you know not something that's out of out of range based upon what we've heard in terms of concerns and challenges too. So basically it's got to become operable or law somewhere and then most likely though there could be a legal challenge down the road. It's possible. I mean, yeah. you know, it there's there's it is it could be very possible that something like that occurs. Though the with the hope that that's not going to be the case. Um right. But it is, you know, it's very possible uh, for something like that to be considered and thought about seriously by folks that may be really concerned about one element or another of, of passage of this. The point is trying to make change, mm -hmm. every form, try new things. Because we know we've got some problems politically. We know we've got some problems systemically. This is it's great conversation. It's a great idea to just try to move forward try to change things and then see what happens down the road, right? Speaking of change, um, I know you've got some other election reform ideas that you believe in. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the other election reforms that you believe uh, would be enacted with this and why, or you would like to enact with this and why? 
Yeah, no. So I think one part of this that needs to be considered and is kind of the reality of the situation in the U.S. is that there are efforts uh, at voter suppression. There are efforts to, uh, whether that's intentional or unintentional, there are people that uh, don't have an easy way to access the ballot box or or in cases uh, are limited in their ability to access the ballot box in the way that they see fit. Um, and so in terms of looking at places that in, in order for a system like this to be successful, these kinds of thoughts about uh, voter suppression, these kinds of um, efforts at voter suppression, whether they're intentional or unintentional, um, need to be kind of dismayed and, and moved away. And there are some um, really interesting reforms to help increase access to the ballot box that may help in advancing the success of a universal civic duty voting system if it's enacted. So things like same-day voter registration or automatic voter registration, um, things like pre-registration of 16 and 17-year-olds, things like allowing for vote by mail and allowing for early voting, these kinds of systems to increase access to the voting box which some states, many states have done at least one or more of these things, could really allow for a system like universal civic duty voting to advance and be successful in spaces. I think one of the things that could be really problematic for a system like this and other election reforms as well that are going on that are adjacent to this kind of thought, right? You've got ranked choice voting, you have um, proportional voting, you have mobile voting, you have all these other types of systems in place that folks are looking at. Um, when you're looking at those types of systems, and you're looking at universal civic duty voting, things like increasing access to the ballot box and making sure that there are systems in place to allow people to vote um, easily, swiftly, securely um, is really key in making sure that you have a system uh, that works and that is successful. Uh, without it, it can be really, you know, we may get into a further system of, of distrust, perhaps, amongst people. Um, you may have further concerns around the validity of elections as been, you know, a rising right. concern around a, a faction of people. And so in order to make sure that these types of movements of trying to make our system better, uh, actually make our system better. Right. We need to make sure that there are ways to allow people, we're, we're setting people up for success and not for failure. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I generally think if we're going to move in this direction, we need to continue to invest in our electoral system, right? I think it's something we've always taken for granted, just the mechanics of it, right? Um, and I think in 2020, um, I think a lot was done to open it up primarily because of the pandemic. It seems to have been fairly successful, but I think putting more money into how we go about doing elections, uh, if this if this further drives us in that direction, I think that's a, that's a great thing. Uh, one of the things um, I appreciate the, the, I agree with all, all those types of reforms that need to kind of be involved in this, but one of the things I was thinking of is there sort of more of a civic education here too? Because I, I think back to the, the founding fathers and 
clearly our, our franchise for voting, they had a different th thought about it back then. Um, and the history of this country has kind of been continually opening up that to, to more individuals, more citizens as we've kind of gone along. But how, how do you view sort of civic education and getting sort of the, the knowledgeable citizens also that people are engaged in the political process and knowledgeable about voting when they go to the booth? I mean, is that part of this too? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, civic education is very key and crucial to making sure a system like this works, right? So in theory, if, if universal civic duty voting was enacted in a specific area, you would think that the schools and the public officials, employers, these types of organizations um, and individuals would all kind of shift toward enabling and encouraging citizens to participate in this type of self-governance. So I think I'm thinking of if every 18 year old were required to vote, I would imagine schools would have a strong incentive to increase the priority of civic education knowing that that's what's coming, right? So I think if we're looking at civic education from that lens of trying to encourage it in schools and encourage it in communities, that would definitely, enacting um, universal civic duty voting would be a great motivator to make sure that that is something that happens. And it would also be a great prerequisite to allow for the success of that kind of system. I see it kind of in... Um, in like a flow chart, one feeds into the other. I also feel like, though, if you think about it from a sense of just education of individuals and campaigns and elections, it kind of goes back to the, the concept of elected officials would be more, in this type of system, incentivized to inform all people about the platform that they carry in order to gain support That's and true. to gain vote, you know? So instead of just super voters, folks right. that have voted in every election, getting all of the election information, uh, everybody, uh, ideally, I would think, I would imagine if, if I was sitting as a potential candidate in an election cycle where I know that every single person is gonna be coming out to vote, I would be trying to reach out to every single person, knowing that they're going to come out to vote, or in uh, assuming that they're going to come out to vote, and and assuming that they're not going to take another uh, avenue of casting a blank right. ballot or a waiver. That's, right. That's, so that's interesting. I, I I didn't really think about that all the way through, but you're right. A lot of the 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 politician and the campaigning's going around basically preaching to the choir, right? And mm -hmm. by opening up, or at least having that more of a not a threat but a real possibility that more people are going to turn up at the polls right um that they're going to have to expand who they're talking to and even from a policy perspective hopefully it also potentially spreads campaign funds thin though right because if, mm -hmm. if you've got to speak to everybody people that you wouldn't normally speak to potentially you know, uh, a, a lefty and rural conservative Tennessee, if you will, still going to have to engage those people, which is not a bad thing at all. But having to engage those people and spend more money there, be interesting to see the effect that has overall on the campaign cycle and, and their campaign spending. 
Oh, yeah. 100%, I think, when we're looking at things of that nature of the amount of individual funds that would go into and be required by campaigns to in the system, that's something that is, you know, very much uh, unknown um, and unclear uh, when it comes to the effect that in, of, of individual campaigns and candidates of, and how much they would have to spend. I would say, though, that there may be it may this using this type of system and conject you know in conjunction with uh, with it being a, if it were to be a government mandate it would be great for um, government entities to consider using systems that would allow for you know generalized public information and knowledge I know in some places in California um, they there are folks that um, can there's kind of like almost an, an education guide for of candidates of who are these candidates and what do they stand for and you can um, and that goes out to individuals there's other organizations that do you know types of these types of things in terms of candidate information on the side but to have a government entity also provide that um, could make some sense in making sure that individuals get the information that they need about candidates so to kind of that, but that also takes into consideration that, that you, it's just moving, instead of candidates using funds, it would be government entities using funds, right? So, and that would be taxpayer dollars. So it's kind of, you know, the effects of funding, where it's coming from, who needs to raise it and how it comes through is very much up for debate as well if we're looking at a system like this. I wanted to touch based on something you spoke about a little bit earlier and, and you discussed concerns with voter suppression and specifically I kind of want to talk about concern about voter ID mm -hmm. and that there's many concerns about people's ability to go and get an ID um, and, and some of those reasons obviously not all of them but are because of poverty uh, lack of access to information um, wouldn't these people disproportionately disproportionately be likely to get fined for not voting if, if they're unable to you know get an ID um, what what makes them more likely to be able to get to the polls and vote no that's a great question and a great kind of thought it's a it's thought-provoking in the sense of um, I would imagine that if every citizen was accounted for we wouldn't be talking about registration in the same way. We wouldn't be talking about um, uh, voter IDs in the same way. And in fact, uh, we've had some folks, I've had some folks, I can speak specifically to myself, uh, conversations with folks that are way more right of center that have even brought up this conversation about voter fraud, perceived voter fraud from their um, perspective and how if there is a system like universal civic duty voting where there is an accounting of every citizen and whether or not they vote not vote cast a, a blank ballot submit a waiver then there is less concern around the opportunity for folks to take advantage of a system um, and in fact they they felt like there was probably more security in the system knowing that there was an accounting for everybody. So with that kind of perspective in mind, I think that even the conversation around voter IDs, the necessity of them and how they would be used could be up for debate and up for question as well. 
Interesting. Um, just to kind of, a couple more questions, kind of more towards where you're at as far as the movement goes, kind of your strategy going forward at this point. Um, you had mentioned that there were a couple states that were looking into it, but kind of where you're at as far as building out the movement uh, and where you see kind of what's happening in the next year or two. Yeah, so, I, you know, this is a very new idea in the States, as I mentioned before. Um, a big part of our strategy right now is just public education, making sure that organizations, uh, that people and community, that elected officials, that public officials are aware of this concept, aware that it is in place in multiple different countries, and thinking about possibly, you know, what could this look like here in my locality, in my state, in, in, in my area, uh, with my people. And so public education is, is big for the next coming years, uh, making sure that folks just are aware that this, we can, we can have it a different way here, you know, and this is right. what it I mean, could look like. I mean, we've both been involved in the democracy movement for a while and, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, it was a new idea to us, so I can understand how that kind of grassroots education needs to go on. You know, absolutely. So that's a big part of the strategy. Um, and in other places, the you know, there's been legislation that's been introduced. So continuing conversations in those legislatures with those elected officials, with those organi organizers and organizations in those spaces to talk about what this could really look like in terms of implementation for their for their city or their state. Um, so continuing those types of conversations uh, would be vital. And then the other piece of it is just continuing to see um, and talk to people about what this could look like um, in terms of uh, support, right? Looking for folks that are willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to take a chance on the system in the states. I've seen how, how it's worked in other places and I want to be an advocate for this work. So it's the education piece, it's, it's the finding advocates piece, and it's the moving legislation, um, or, or I should say supporting um, the idea so that folks that want to move the legislation can move that legislation forward. Great. Well, hopefully we did a little bit of educating of our listeners tonight, mm -hmm. uh, which I think we've had a pretty good and in-depth discussion. Can you kind of just let our listeners know where they can find out more about your organization, kind of what they can do and, and what's available to them at this point to kind of either get involved or be more educated and kind of spread the word? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is 100percentdemocracy.org. That is percent spelled out P-E-R-C-E-N-T instead of the percent sign. Um, so feel free to reach out to me, to other members of our team, um, if there are folks that you feel like hey, you know, I want to have a conversation with somebody in my, you know, I want to get a group of people together to talk about this. And I want someone there to kind of guide our conversation or to talk to us about this and see what it's about uh, more and, and to have that type of intentional internal dialogue. Um, you can reach out to me or to anybody else on our team for that. The website has more information about how to contact us and uh, also has more information about uh, publications that you can read if you're interested in learning more about the concept. Right, because you're right. A, a lot of that conversation and a lot of that that push, we all become overwhelmed by this being too big of things. But 
it always starts with that first step and doing that on the local level or having those conversations amongst your your friends and your colleagues and whatnot and that's how it all starts right absolutely you know these virtual zoom rooms these these couch conversations invite me to your whatever your dinner table right i would i'll be there you know it's kind of <laughs> i can be there virtually yep. maybe not you know maybe not physically but virtually because it's just you know these are the i i really appreciate the space that both you and bob have created in having conversations about things that are different from different perspectives because i think that that's what's lost in our country right now right it's this ability to sit down look at an issue look at a topic have people with different opinions and different thoughts talk about that thing in a cordial way that under that with the understanding that everybody means well right right yep i mean we're so, just trying to do our little part here but uh we really appreciate you coming on and educating us about 100 uh, percent democracy and uh listeners feel uh free to reach out and uh uh, read the website, read some of the, the book is a great book. I, I encourage everyone to get the, the book, 100% Democracy. Uh, it's a good read. Uh, it has some interesting, it'll make you think about uh, all of this more in depth. But uh, we just want to thank you for coming on our cast and uh, we really enjoyed it. Thank you both for having me. Yeah, this was absolutely great. Thank you much. All right.